Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Delighted to be back with you. I was very sad to miss our good friend Chris Frost last week, but I did watch on YouTube. I sat at home where you are right now uh, and watched and he was superb, wasn't he? If you were here last week, Chris, I've been reflecting all week on where the positions in my life of pressure are and whether I've actually got the right perspective. And so um, I thought what he shared was just outstanding. Um, This is our new series. It's called Formation, A Practical Guide to Living Free. Sounds good, doesn't it? This way you go, woo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Jesus said this, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? That's what Jesus said. Uh, But if we're really honest with each other, that's not always how it feels, is it? And it's not always our experience of life, but it is what Jesus has said for us, and we want it to be true. And so we're doing a series looking at how can we live in the freedom that Jesus has won for us? What can we practically do? Uh, And to do that, we're going to ask the question, what are we becoming? And so I've chucked this question out a few times recently, who are you becoming? Because we're all becoming something. All of us are being shaped by something. And what is it that's shaping you? Who are you becoming? What are you being formed into? Is your life being formed by the freedom that Jesus has won for you? Or is your life being deformed by something else that's trapping you back into slavery to fear or shame or guilt into slavery to sin? And so that's what we're going to look at. Who are we becoming? A practical guide. We're going to do nine weeks in it, nine things from the book of 1 John. It's going to be in May and July. We've got some different stuff in June going on, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come. Um, And really, the question we're looking at is how the hope that we have in Jesus shapes our lives so that we can live free. Would you like to know some of the weeks? No? Okay. Well, you would? You would like to know some of the weeks? We're going to look at things like the defeat of fear. Anyone like to live free from fear? We're going to look at the defeat of shame. You want to know about that? We're going to look at what it is to have confident faith, how we can be confident in our faith. Sound good? We're going to look next week at the gift of confession. Woo! Thank you. And uh, uh, love for others, living like Jesus lived, all sorts of things from the book of 1 John. I'm really excited about it. And to, to frame it a little bit, so 1 John is a letter that John wrote. John, who you probably know from the books about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, same John, Jesus' friend. And uh, if the book about Jesus' life, the Gospel of John, is written to help people believe in Jesus and have life, that's what he said he's writing for. You'll find that, John chapter 20, verse 36, I think. It's not in my notes. He said, I'm writing this so that you will believe in Jesus and have life. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's trying to convince you that Jesus is the Messiah and he's going to mean you can have life. If that's what he's writing for in the gospel, what he's writing about in his letter is he's writing to believers about their lives to help them have assurance. So that the book of John is written like missionally, evangelistically. He's trying to convince you about Jesus. His letter is written, if you believe in Jesus, about your life. And uh, 
I don't really like reading it, if I'm honest. Are we allowed to say that at the front of church? I find John really difficult to read. Like, I know some people find Paul really difficult. I quite like Paul. He's very ordered. Like, point, sub-point, evidence, sub-point, evidence. Yeah, I like that. That works for my brain. John is the opposite. It's chaotic. You know, like kids, you know, spirograph? Did you have spirograph? Anyone, kid, any kids got spirograph in the room? You get like a plastic frame. It's got little cogs and you get little circles and you put them in, you put the pen in and you go, you're just drawing around in a circle, but it makes this beautiful pattern. And uh, it doesn't look like anything until the end. That's kind of like the book of 1 John. Like he's talking about light and then he talks about truth and then he's talking about life and then he's talking about lies and then it's light again. And you're like, what's going on? And then he finishes in the final sentence, you go, oh, it makes sense. And you take the cog away and it's a beautiful picture with Jesus in the middle that he keeps coming back to. And so this week, when you go home and read 1 John, because why would we bother doing a series that you're not going to read? This week, when you go home and you read the book of 1 John, you will find that it is chaotic, it goes everywhere, but at the end, it really does create a beautiful picture with Jesus in the middle. And I want to give you a tip for reading 1 John and a warning when you come to read 1 John. It will take you 15 minutes. Seriously, it's a short book. We pick short books at the moment. Helps us read them. This is my tip. As you go through, get yourself a pencil or a pen, depending on how brave you are with your Bible. Highlighter, if that's your bag. And I want you to highlight every time you find the two words, this is. Most of the time, it's this is how. But there are a few other this is. Because he's constantly telling you about things that are there so you can have assurance and know that it's true. This is. I got 20. It's not a competition, but (laughs) this is. And then get another color and do we know or you know and underline those. I got more than 20 of those. And there's quite a few where he puts them together and he says, this is how we know. Because what's he writing for? He's writing so you can have assurance about your faith in Jesus. This is telling you all about the stuff that we can see, and this is how we know all the stuff that we can know. Have a look, and you will see that he is writing to shoot for your heart so that you would have assurance in Jesus and in your life in him. You up for that challenge? Read 1 John pen, underline, this is, we know, see what you get. The warning, the warning is that when you shoot for the heart, as John is doing, he's not making a logical argument, he's just shooting for your heart. What that means is he's going to cut you to the heart. Because to shoot for the heart means you, (laughs) to shoot for the heart means that you have to cut to the heart, to win the heart, to shape the heart. And that's what he's going to do. And there are some bits in 1 John that hurt as you read them. But it's good for the soul. Because it really makes you ask this question. Who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? What is forming me? Am I following the way of Jesus so that I can live free? You up for that challenge? And that's the next nine weeks together. Right, that's my news. That's my intro. Now I'm starting to preach. It's slightly shorter. John dives straight in and so will we. Open your Bibles to 1 John. It's near the back, very near the back of your book. 
We're going to read four verses today, the first four verses of the book. He starts with no faffing around, there's no hello, no how are you, no fancies. He is straight in, he is down to business. And this is what he says. You might recognize the first line because it's kind of like the first bit of John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, everyone point at your ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands, point at your hands, have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Straight to business, he dives straight in, and what he's saying is, hey guys, what I'm talking about is something I have heard, something I have seen, and something I have touched. Touch is a rather powerful sense. Touch yourself for a moment. Squeeze your hand. Chair. If you know the person next to you, you can poke them. This is your moment. Touch is a really powerful sense because the things we see are not always to be believed, right? The things we hear about, we sometimes find ourselves a little bit cynical. Is that really true? But if you've touched it, it's a lot harder to be deceived, right? So we live in a world of fake news, alternative facts. We're living in an information war where you're really not sure about the stuff you're being told or even the stuff you see. You know, you go on the BBC, it's like, this is our whole department for verifying the stuff that we're reporting as news from Ukraine right now. They've got teams of people working on verifying it, even when there's videos, because seeing and hearing isn't really enough. You want to touch it. And John is saying, hey guys, I'm telling you about something really important that we have touched. That we have touched. Our hands He says, they have touched not just a chair, not just a person, not just a thing. No, our hands have touched God. That's where he's starting. That which was from the beginning, our hands have touched. The eternal one, our hands have touched. It's a pretty big claim, right? Even bigger when you think about the fact that John grew up in a world where you didn't even say the name of God because it was considered too holy to say. But he's saying, we touched it. We touched it. With our hands, we've touched God. Big claim. Have you ever touched someone famous? Anyone? Hands up if you think you've ever touched someone famous. You can tell your stories to each other later. You picture the scene, can't you, with me? screaming, hordes of screaming girls reaching out for the pop star at the front of the gig. Hands up if that was you. Ah! And the pop star's there like thousands of adoring fans runs their hand along. He touched me! Ah! I'm never going to wash again. 
You have people who hang around stage doors for people who are going to come out afterwards just to get a selfie. Not that we would ever do anything like that. (laughs) Touching. And that's just a celebrity. Here today, gone tomorrow. But people are like, ah, touch them! I remember distinctly going to football matches as a kid and we'd get seats by the, um, the tunnel where the players come out and they'd run along and they'd like high-five you, they'd touch you on the head. Steve Grizovich, legendary Coventry City goalkeeper, once ruffled my hair as he ran onto the pitch. I was like, oh! <sighs> Never going to wash again! Touched me, he touched me. And he just, you don't even know who Steve Grizovich is. <laughs> hey, Mr. Like, oh, I touched him. Here today, gone tomorrow. John says, our hands have touched him who was from the beginning. The one who is eternal, the eternal God. We touched him. What a claim. What a claim. The one who lives in unapproachable light we touched him. The one who created all things, the one through whom all things were made, nothing that has been made apart from what was made through him, and we touched him. Wow. The one who is sustaining all things right now, the one who hangs the may blossom on the trees, the one who's causing electrons to orbit every neutron in every cell, in every part of the universe, the one who is sustaining everything, we touched him. Never going to wash again. The sovereign one, the one who orchestrates all time and history, we touched him. I told you he's getting down to business. This is where he's starting. We touched it. Our hands, they touched him. The one who will one day say enough and the earth will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Every tear will be wiped away. The shadow in every human heart will be illuminated. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Pain will disappear. Every cancer cell will die. All the sad things in the words of Samwise Gamgee will come untrue. The one who will say that's enough, who will cause the dead to rise and the living and the dead will be judged and he will redeem all things. That one, we touched him. Our hands touched him. Why don't you just touch your hand for a minute? We touched him. We touched him. And I, it got me thinking, right? I'm like, where? Where did John touch Jesus? Because that's who we're talking about, if you haven't guessed yet. And so I'm, I'm in John. I already told you, I find John quite difficult. I've been in the Gospel of John since January, and I can't get to the end of it because it's so difficult. It's reassuring, isn't it, when someone stands at the front of church and says that? I'm almost there. Anyway, I went back, and I'm like, where does he touch him? And here's where he touches him. John 13... Verse 25, it's the Last Supper. Jesus is sitting around with his friends and he says to them, one of you is going to betray me. You might know this story. And Peter, he goes, psst, John, 
Ask him who he means. And John tells you, he says, I leant back. I can't, I can't leave my back. So I leant back against Jesus and asked him, hey, who do you mean, Jesus? He didn't fanboy as Jesus walked through town and touched him. No, he leant back and rested his head against Jesus' chest. In that moment, the one who is holding all things together was holding John up. And he says, Jesus, who's going to betray you? I mean, what an impertinent question. (laughs) He touched him. He didn't just reach out. No, he lived with him for three years. He leant his head against his chest. He, He probably heard Jesus snore. They would broke bread and passed it between each other. He cooked for Jesus. Jesus cooked for him. 20 verses earlier in John 13, we find Jesus tie a towel around his waist and kneel to the floor and wash the dirt and the grime and the filth from John's feet. We touched him and he washed my feet. It's an amazing claim, isn't it? An amazing thing. John's got a friend. His name is Thomas. And uh, there's a story you can read about in the book of John. And Thomas, for some reason, we don't really know why, he wasn't there the first time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he rose from the dead. We we don't know. And they're telling him about it, about what they've seen. And he says, I'm not believing that. I'm only going to believe if I can touch the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side where the spear went, as Chris talked about last week. You know that story? A few days later, Jesus appears to them all in the room. Thomas eats his words. They were bitter. And he touches the wounds, reaches out. His hands touched the one who was from the beginning, risen from the dead. And as he does so, he falls to the floor and he cries out, my Lord and my God falls to the floor in worship as he touches the one who was from the beginning and who rose from the dead. Friends, we have to get our heads around how incredibly massive this claim is. John starts with this truth. We touched him. Touch. Do it with me. Touch. We touched him. And if you're a guest here, maybe you've been dragged along, this morning, you don't want to be here. Maybe you do want to be here, but you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you've been to church your whole life, but it's not real for you. Maybe you're really interested in trying to find out what's it all about, friends. This is what it's all about. This is the claim of Christianity. It isn't that it works. That is not our claim. Our claim is not that we like this. Our claim is that they touched him. It's true that God came in the flesh. He lived amongst us. He died. He rose from the dead. They touched him again. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father forever. The question isn't, does Christianity work for you? The question is, are the stories about Jesus true? Did they see, hear, and touch him or not? Because let me tell you, if they did, then the world is a very different place than we all think. And if they didn't, and it's not true, then there is no point in being here at all. This is the center of Christianity. This is the claim that everything hangs on. Did God come in the flesh to live the perfect life, 
to die on the cross in our place, to pay the price for sin, that we could know forgiveness? Did he rise from the dead, touched by his friends yet again, not just a figment of their imagination, not a hallucination, not a dream, no, physically rose from the dead and ascended into heaven? Did that happen? If it happened, brilliant. Christianity is true. You give your life to it. You allow your life to be shaped by the hope that is present in Jesus. If it's not true, chuck it all away. It's not worth it. This is the claim. If you're a guest here, that's what you need to make your mind about. Is it true? Is it true? Our hands touched him. Come with me. Touch. The second bit we're going to today is fellowship. So we're going touch. Do it with me. Say it as well. Touch. Fellowship. Joy. Touch. Fellowship. Joy. That's the pattern we're going for today. We've done touch, we're doing fellowship, we're ending in joy. The first bit was the longest. You can see why perhaps John is full of joy. He touched Jesus. He's never going to wash again. right? We get why he's full of joy, but why should him touching Jesus fill us with joy? That's the question, because we want to be those who live in joy. That's my title for today. How do we practically live in joy? Well, John touched Jesus. How do I get from that to I have joy? This is the root. John touched him and had fellowship with him, and so has joy. This is the center of the Christian message about God, is that Jesus didn't just come from nowhere, but that in verse 2, John says, he was with the Father and has appeared to us. That Jesus had always been with the Father. The Son always existed with the Father. We are about to do the Trinity in about three minutes. Are you ready? (laughs) Buckle your seatbelt. Jesus' existence on the face of the earth, his death and resurrection, the new birth that you and I can have, as we die to an old life and have a new life in Jesus, joins us not just to a physical body, Jesus, but into the eternal God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know that bit, right? Good. If not, then we need more than three minutes. (laughs) One God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in order to do this in two minutes, we have to go back and simplify 400 years of Christian debate into two people. We have over here Arius, and we have over here Athanasius. And if you're looking for a really cool individual name for your newborn baby, let me advise you away from Arius and to Athanasius, because Arius is the baddie, Athanasius is the goodie. And you won't find any other babies called Athanasius in Harrogate, or most of the Western world. Athanasius. And Arius, you see, he was looking at this, and he was saying, look... God is the one before all things. He has to be. And then Jesus comes. And so that must mean that God created Jesus. Must do. God's the originator, and everything originates from God. Jesus must originate from God. That's my argument. And the Christians went, oh, that doesn't really sound very much like what Jesus said, because he said, I've always been with the Father. We're a little bit confused, but your logic sounds quite good. And it took a very clever man called Athanasius. Everyone turn to the person next to you and say, Athanasius. And he said, no, 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 Arius, you've got this all wrong. 
Stop being such a silly boy. If the Son was created by the Father, as you're claiming, then the Father could not be love. Because love requires an object. If you, someone says to you, I'm just so full of love, but you never see love flowing out of them towards anything, then they're not full of love. Because love must have an object. And Athanasius says, for God to be love must mean that there was something for God to love before he created. Otherwise, God is dependent on creation. You following me? This is a really good piece if you ever want to have a conversation with a Muslim friend. For God to be love, there must have been something for him to love before creation. Otherwise, he's dependent upon creation. Athanasius says, that can't be the case. So God must be Father and Son eternally existing, one God, but somehow Father, Son, and Spirit as one always. Always existing in love, always existing in fellowship, in oneness. And Arius says, but that's really confusing. My way's much simpler. And Athanasius says, yes, you're right, it is really confusing. It's a bit of a mystery, but it's the only way God can be love and Jesus can save you. So you can either have a God that everything originates from, and it kind of makes sense, but he can't save you. Or you have a God who's eternally existed, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, utterly united, one and three, always existing in love and joy, who created, and that love spills out into creation, and you're invited in by the Son to that love. Follow me? And so John is saying... The Son, the Word of Life, came from the Father to us. We saw Him, we heard Him, we touched Him. And that has meant that we can have life through Him so that we can go with Him into this eternally existing relationship of love. Because the Father loves the Son, loves the Spirit, loves the Son, loves the Father, always and forever. And that's what we're now in because we're in Jesus. You follow me? If you're born again into Jesus... Paul's phrase is in Christ, isn't it? You heard that phrase? You've seen it in the Bible? If you're in Christ, that means you're in the Son who's part of this eternally loving three, Father, Son, and Spirit. So it is nothing to do with you and the record of your life about whether God loves you. It's the fact that you are now seated in the place of eternal love. John says you can have fellowship with us, but of course remember our fellowship is with the Father and the Son by the Spirit. Because we touched the Son, the one who was eternal. And so we have fellowship with him, and you too can have fellowship with us, and therefore with him, in the love of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's as good as I've got in three minutes on the Trinity. I really hope it's helped. Because they touched him. And he invited them to have fellowship. And that means they're filled with joy, because God is filled with joy. Let me give you a quote. There's a slide for this one, Susio. This by a much cleverer man than me, who wrote a very good book, not that one, no, we'll do that one in a minute. This is the quote by Mike Reeves. Not our Mike Reeves. He's Mike Reeve. We had a family called the Reeves in our church. Mike was one of them. They're no longer here. They're alive. They're just in Northumberland. <laughs> he didn't write this book. Should I keep digging? 
This is the book. It's called The Good God. If I've just confused you, you should get this book and read it because he'll unconfuse you. But this is what he says. In the triune God, the God who's three in one, Father, Son, Spirit, one God, is the love behind all love. The only reason there is love is because love existed in God before all things. And that's why we can know what love is. The life behind all life, the music behind all music, the beauty behind all beauty, and the joy behind all joy. Anything that is beautiful is beautiful because beauty first came from God and it spilled out of God into creation. Anything that is joyful is joyful because it came from the joy in God that Father, Son, and Spirit have shared for eternity and it spills out into creation. He goes on. There's not a slide for this one. Creation is about the spreading, the diffusion, the outward expression of that love, the one that's existed always between Father, Son, and Spirit. This God is the very opposite of greedy, hungry, selfish emptiness. In his self-giving, he naturally pours forth life and goodness. He is then the source of all that is good, and that means he is not the source of God who would call people to himself away from happiness and good things. Goodness and ultimate, ultimate happiness are to be found with him, not apart from him. They touched him. It's true. It means we can have fellowship with God, and if we've got fellowship with God, that means that we can have joy, because true joy is found in him, not in our circumstances as we beautifully sang already, completely unplanned. Thank you, James, and the Holy Spirit. Because they touched him, we know it's true. We can have fellowship with them, in their fellowship with God, and that means we've got access to joy. And here's the practical tip. Here's the practical question. What do you think about? Does just mean in life? Because John has nowhere else to go but this. We touched him. It was amazing. And it means we've got fellowship with God. It's the first thing he says. It clearly consumes his thinking. When he's got a spare minute, he's going, wow, I touched the eternal one, God in the flesh. Wow, that means that I'm in this relationship of love that God has always existed in. That is amazing. you want to live in joy, you've got to have a look at your thought life. Are you thinking about things like that? Or are you spending your time chewing over, rehashing, getting bogged down in a whole load of stuff that's going to tie you up in sadness and angst and anxiety? There is a great gift of love and joy offered to the people of God that we are found in through Jesus and that could consume every waking minute of your life in terms of pondering in awe. If you thought about that for a moment. If we thought about that for a moment. Thomas, to take us full circle as we're about to land, he said, I'm not, I'm not going to believe not unless I can touch. The moment he touched, he went, it's true. And he fell to the floor in worship. My Lord and my God. 
when we think about the incredible work of Jesus, when we chew it over in our mind. It's called meditation. Meditation isn't emptying your head of stuff, it's chewing over the truth. As we meditate on it, we go, wow, amazing. They touched him. We find that we are sharing with the saints through the ages this incredible awe and worship at our God of love and that we receive his love into our lives, that we might have joy. Friends, they touched him. Do it with me. They touched him. And we can have fellowship with him and with them, with him, and that means we can have fullness of joy. So in addition to reading 1 John this week and underlining the two things I told you, why not just pause for a minute and allow yourself to go, wow, they touched him. This Jesus stuff is true. How incredible. How amazing. My Lord and my God. You want to rise to your feet if you're able. Band, do you want to come back up? We're going to finish by singing just for a couple of minutes. Why don't you close your eyes for a second and picture the scene of John leaning back against his friend, Jesus' chest. And then remind yourself that Jesus is the one who created all things. Friends, it's incredible that Jesus is the same one who calls you by name, He's the one who embraces you in the embrace that's existed eternally. Why don't you put your hands out in front of you and let's just invite the Holy Spirit together to come and make this real for us afresh. Because it's Father, Son and Spirit and it's the Spirit who takes us to the Father through the work of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask, would you come? Would you make alive, afresh, this incredible truth about what you've done for us by your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might come to you and know your love and know your joy? We use our mouths to confess the same words as Thomas. My Lord, my God, would you shape our lives Would we become like you for your fame, for the sake of the world around us? Amen.